Here we go. I think we're ready. Good five-minute break. Lots of chatter here in the room. Welcome to everybody in here. Welcome to everybody online. It is good to have you here. Happy Mother's Day, moms. We love you, and we are thankful for you today. And um, I really appreciated the tone of Paul's prayer to us. We understand that this is not an easy day for all, and, uh, but we do want to celebrate and champion our moms. You are a vital part of what we do in this world and in our lives, and so today we are very thankful for you. So thank you for doing what you do. Um, in 1995, a girl walked into the academic building of her college, and across the room there was this stunning-looking guy who had a long flow of hair on the top of his head. And she looked at that guy, and she said, I'm going to marry that guy. There was no reciprocity in that uh, moment whatsoever. The guy did not know who she was, really did not give her the same uh, accommodation that she was giving. And then, after about a year's time in 1996, um, through a really silly game, this guy and this girl kind of landed back in the same circle, and it was there where this guy started to think, like, there's something different about her. Why, like, why, didn't I, why have I not noticed her before? And through a, a series of events, the flirting started to happen. How many of you ever flirted before, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. Flirting starts to take place, and things are happening everywhere. And, and slowly, and, and, and the girl didn't know this about the guy, but slowly the guy, he, he, was, beginning to, like, he was beginning to fall in love. The flirting was turning into something that was quite tangible and something that he, he wanted to do. And that love, as it began to flourish inside, was beginning to do a, a number of different things. First of all, that love was, was trying to be, it, it was an attentive love. I mean, he listened to every word that she had to say. He wanted to hear her voice because it was that important to him. We, we would go on and we would see that in that story that there was an available love. I mean, no matter when she wanted to talk, he was there. Whenever he wanted to talk, she was there, and there was this flourishing in the love. And back in the mid-'90s, like, one of the things that they had there that people used to communicate with each other were these things called telephones, where you pick them up and you talk to people instead of this thing that you do in this world today. But you would pick up the phone and you would talk, and so suddenly this, this available love was on the phone when there was distance and separation, and, and you would have a fantastic conversation for about three hours, and then at the end of those three hours, it's like, it's time to hang up, and then they would play this silly little game like, okay, on the count of three, we're going to hang up. Ready? One, two, three. Did you hang up? Nope, I didn't hang up. And, and you would go through this. It was just a funny little story. But then there was with this guy, there was this eager love. He just wanted to be with her. No matter what, nothing else stood in the way. And he wanted that eager love to be present. And lastly, he had a love that sought to please her. It was an extravagant love. No matter what he could do, if he could make her happy, if he could just love her the way she needed to be loved, he was all in. That flirting that had started the story had now flourished into what we would kind of call a first love, a love that would move mountains so that he could be with her. In Revelation chapter 2, we pick up a similar story. Jesus, in writing to the church of Ephesus, says this, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand 
and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know all the things you've done. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but they're not. You've discovered they are actually liars. You've patiently suffered for me without quitting. But, everybody say but. The three worst possible words for us to hear today. But I have this complaint against you. You have lost your first love and each other in your life. And look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. And if you don't repent, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Now, Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Will you pray with me as we've read the word of the Lord together today? Father, I'm asking you today to now teach very clearly. I know that this letter, that this first letter that you've written to the church of Ephesus has a lot of parallel moments to Callwood Church today. And so we need your spirit to move as only he could do, asking you today that you would be Lord of this place. Jesus, help us to focus in on what you're about to say and how you're going to challenge us together. And may we be more like you is what I pray. So Jesus, take this time and this space and use it for your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. Today I'd like to speak to us from the subject of first love. So we're back to our series in Revelation, Not As It Seems. And there are three things that I am asking us to consider every single week is that when it comes to the book of Revelation, know this, that this is a book about Jesus, and it's from Jesus. Second thing is that this is a book about your discipleship, my discipleship. We're asking this question, who are you worshiping in your life today? And third, it is going to align itself to the rest of Scripture. And so today we kind of land ourselves back at where we finished last week. And it showed us last week that Jesus is standing in the middle of the churches, the seven golden lampstands represent churches. The seven stars represent angels. The number seven represents what? Completion and perfection. Jesus is saying with these numbers of seven that when he looks at his church, it is a complete church. It is a whole church. This is not about just seven random churches in the world, but it is a collection of his church. And it says that Jesus stands in the middle of his church and he is excited to lead from the center. Jesus is the focal point of the church. And it is there where he has a message for these churches. And today we have just read the first message to the church. But there is an overarching idea as to what Jesus is trying to do with these churches. There were two things that they were trying to confront. Number one, it was the reality of various kinds of persecution. These people were under persecution. And then the second thing is that there was a strong temptation to compromise and to accommodate the cultural norms of the day. There are two leading positions of interpreting these message, messages that Jesus gives to the church. The first one is literal, that Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus, first century, and here we go. Then there is another train, and I'm not trying to confuse you, but I'm just trying to give you just a, a little piece of the education of it. 
But there is something called dispensationalism in this world. Now, dispensationalism is basically looking at this, that there are divine periods of time that have been established over history. And so as an evangelical church, we believe in parts of that dispensationalism is that we have certain segments of time that are divine from the creation account or maybe to when Jesus ascended and went to heaven and now we're living in this culture. It's a dispensation. But some people will try to take their dispensationalism and they will try to apply it to these seven churches that we read in Revelation. What do I mean by that? Is that people will look at the church of Ephesus and say that it was this section of time. And when we get through the church of Thyatira, it was this section. And over here, it had to do with the Reformation age and so on and so forth. So there's two approaches, literal and perhaps I'm going to apply and these churches are what they are. This idea of the dispensationalism, though, I, I need us to see, this is a relatively new concept to us in our culture. In fact, it was created in 1830. It was a thought and a train of thought, but in 1830 is where we have found that it comes into play. Dispensational eschatology, another big word I know, eschatology meaning the end of times. Everything's pointing to eschatology, but there is dispensational eschatology. But we're a Pentecostal church. And that doesn't always align itself to Pentecostal theology. And I'll explore that a little bit as we go on further through these weeks. But the idea that Revelations chapter 2 and 3 contain an outline of church history seems rather forced and quite far-fetched. But the idea of these seven churches somehow symbolize the range of possible Christian churches, particularly the range of of common dangers that the church faces. And that is a little bit more plausible for us today. So we're going to look at these churches, not as necessarily through that dispensational viewpoint of eschatology. We're going to look at them that Jesus had a message to say to Ephesus, but that Jesus has something to say about us as Colwood Church. Are you following with me on that? That will be okay. The message of these seven churches from the risen Christ is not a call to death, but discipleship including abstention from all that defiles Bonhoeffer. What we're saying today is that in our discipleship and in our pursuit of the book of Revelation, discipleship is going to both cost us and there will be great reward to it. And these seven churches are going to explain exactly that. So what takes place over these next seven weeks is we're going to take a look at these churches. And a lot of scholars and theologians have leaned into these moments and and we're going to take a look at them and we're going to see what they have to say. But today we start at the book of, or at the church of Ephesus. Somebody say Ephesus. It's, it flows right off your tongue. Try it again. Come on. Like, feel good about Ephesus. Ephesus. <laughs> so the story picks up here. And, and I want us to see this because at the start of every single one of the seven churches of Revelation, Jesus does a repeat play. He's actually saying something in the very first verse of that message to the church. And it's something that he's already brought to our attention, though, in chapter 1. And in this particular story of Ephesus, Jesus says something very important. Last week, we learned that Jesus stands where in the middle of his churches? Where? The middle. So Jesus says that he stands in the middle. But here at Ephesus, he changes the language. Not only is he in the middle, it says that Jesus now walks among the churches. You notice this play on words. This is important for us today. 
So Jesus is now going to walk amongst his churches that are first century real to first century Christians to first century environments. I'm going to walk among my churches and I'm going to download this message to you. And so he comes to Ephesus first. Why did Jesus come to Ephesus? This is actually very important for us today. First of all, Ephesus was the most influential of all of the seven cities that are mentioned in the chapter. Not only that, they are the most influential church. In in fact, they are the fourth largest city in the whole entire Roman Empire at 225,000 people. What What Ephesus was was an urban center. Guess what we live in here in Victoria today? Urban center. Can you see what Jesus is doing? He is say, he's saying to us today, it's time for discipleship in the city, not the other crazy one of sex in the city. Let's bring discipleship to the city. This is the origins of, origins of this. Jesus sees that the urban center is a place where he can download his message to people who need to hear him. And guess what? He's doing that in Victoria. Aren't you excited about that? This was a financial center. I mean, all the monies of, of the Middle East were running through this place right here. It was the most important seaport on the entire west coast of Asia. Of Asia. The pageant and the panorama of Rome was on display in Ephesus. This was a critical stronghold for them to establish their kingdom and their influence out. In fact, there was a goddess of the city. Her name was Artemis, or Diana, both Greek and Roman uh, backgrounds. And Diana or Artemis was the embodiment of sexuality and sexual lust. I mean, this, this was rampant in their city. Sexuality was at its pinnacle. You would go to Ephesus to find a, prostu- or a temple prostitute and you would do your things there. In fact, they built a temple to this Artemis and it became one of the seven wonders of the natural world back in that time. This was a big deal. They created temples for their emperors. We've learned about the emperor who is in command at this time, Domitian. And Domitian had a temple built to him by Rome in the city of Ephesus. And it was in this city where not with only with Artemis or Domitian, idols were created. People were purchasing and buying all of these idols. And we've got serious problems on our hands when we look at the city of Ephesus. But in that center of business, Politics and religious pluralism emerged one of the most influential churches in the whole scope of Christianity today. Ephesus was the center for the Christian movement. Ephesus was a big deal. That's why Jesus wants to start here with Ephesus. And the churches of Revelation are going to show us today messy family rooms, living rooms full of sinners, failed expectations. Do you know any of these people in your life? Because Revelation is going to point that out. A random selection of seven churches in any century would turn up similar to these seven churches that we read about here in Revelation. So I'm going to ask us today, do you identify with Jesus' message to the church of Ephesus? Let me ask you a question. Do you see idolatry in Victoria, anybody? Okay. Does anybody see sexual immorality in Victoria? Do we have any political unrest maybe in Victoria? No, no. Okay, we need to see when I ask a question like this, is can you see the parallels? And I'm gonna make one admission to you today. I don't wanna be on this stage finishing the rest of this message now. I just don't. I'm always happy to be at church. 
I'm happy to celebrate our moms today. But when I see what Jesus says to the book or to the church of Ephesus, I have a funny feeling Jesus wants to say something to call the church today. Have you also fallen, perhaps like Ephesus? I think it's Eugene Peterson that um, has built a structure. Remember, I've talked about a theopoetical approach to the book. Well, in every one of these letters, there is a beautiful poetic approach to it. And it goes like this. Number one, Jesus is going to say something about himself. And we're going to see that every week. The second thing that Jesus will do is he'll bring affirmation to that church. The third thing he's going to do is he's going to bring a correction. And then it's going to come with a promise and perhaps an eschatological, remember, end of time, eternity sort of play, that could be a promise. And it's with that approach I want to take a look at the church of Ephesus today. And so we are going to start with affirmation. So Jesus steps in and he, he brings an affirmation to the church of Ephesus. Jesus is beginning to speak these pastoral letters through Pastor John so that the church would understand what Jesus sees when it comes to them. And he says some really fantastic things, actually, when he's trying to affirm the city of Ephesus, this city that is so influential, that has so many issues running through it. He wants to speak these words, and he says this to, this, to the church of Ephesus, and I want you to keep this parallel in mind to the Colwood church. Jesus says, I see your hard work. I mean, your strenuous and your, your, your exhausting labor, how you push for the kingdom. You've got many fantastic programs and things that are reaching out into your community. I see your diligence. I see that you're conscientious as you want to approach me. It reminds me uh, very simply of, of a statement that discipleship that costs nothing is worth precisely that. Remember, we've said like what Jesus is saying in the book of Revelation, he's going to challenge our discipleship together. And he sees them. Your hard work is incredible. And then he goes on, your perseverance, which is your patient endurance or your long suffering. He's saying to them, listen, you've resisted the emperor cult that has happened. You, you are not bowing your knee to the Caesar of the day. You are also not falling into idolatry with Artemis or Diana. And because of those things, it's led to the rejection of your friends. It is rejection of civil leaders. It is the customers that you would have. You've been boycotted in the community because of your perseverance. You've done well. And Jesus is like, good job, you guys. Like, this is incredible. He goes on. He says, you've even fought off the claims of these people who come to bring a false word, and you have stood your ground. You have endured. You have not quit. You are absolutely solid. Well done. And Jesus is totally talking to them about their orthodoxy, the belief in their doctrine. They, they're committed to seeing this church go forward. And Jesus is like, good. And then three letters of a word. But, somebody say, but, but. So that boy and that girl, they decided to get married. And life was good. I mean, they were so pumped to enjoy and to adventure into life. They would travel, they would eat out, life was good. They were able to attend to their attentive love, their, their eager love. They were excited. And then that boy and that girl decided, oh, it would be a good idea maybe if we brought kids into the world. 
And it was there where suddenly that first love and that energetic intimacy, affection, and passion kind of adjusted a little bit as their children started to arrive into the world. And they realized at moments that it was like a roller coaster. You had to be very intentional to make your love work. Not only that, there were comments that came along. It feels like we're, we're roommates rather than lovers. And then it was through a series of more uh, time, and you kind of get to this place where one of their children is, is moving himself towards a graduation. And there's that sudden recognition that, oh my goodness, like we have given our whole entire lives this last season to these children, and now they're about to probably even leave the nest. And the comment comes up between the boy and the girl simply saying, it's probably time we start liking each other again, wink, wink. And you quickly realize that if you do not give the attention to your first love, there are a lot of things that could take it away. And Jesus stands at the door of Ephesus. He's like, you're doing so good. And then he says, but. Which now leads us to the correction of the moment. Jesus looks at Ephesus with these piercing eyes of flame which we know Jesus has because of chapter 1. And it's here where he discovers a great flaw. And he says something to that church, and he says something to us today at Colwood. He says, but you have left your first love. In the original language, this is very important to us today. He didn't say you have lost your first love. Has anybody ever lost keys before? Have you ever lost your child? Have you ever lost? But it's accidental, is it not? Losing is accidental. But when you leave something, it's full of intention. You know what you're doing. And Jesus looks at this incredible church and he goes, but you've left. You've left your first love. Please understand that Jesus understands their doctrine. He understands their belief. He knows that they want to. But what he is talking about here in this text is that their personal relationship, their affection and their intimacy left. And I wonder, Colwood Church, if that is you or me, where you have left your first love. What Jesus is doing with this church is he is moving them from orthodoxy to orthopraxy. He is talking about their behaviors and their practices with him. In fact, the beautiful narrative of the whole entire Bible is God comes to earth and he takes his church and it started with the Jewish population of Israel and he looks at them as the groom and they become the bride. And we today have God as our groom, and we the church are his bride. And at the beginning, there was that first love, there was that excitement. But guess what Israel did, and guess what every generation since that time has done? She began to flirt. She began to throw her attention at other things and other options. And we find ourselves in the same place today as Israel, as Ephesus, as Colwood Church right here in Victoria. Have you left your first love? My question for us today, Colwood Church, is this. Has your attention gone elsewhere these days? Let this sink in, please. 
attention gone somewhere else. Marshall McLuhan made the arresting observation that nature has not equipped mankind with earlids. But we compensate for nature's oversight by developing selective hearing, listening. We are conveniently deaf to sounds that challenge our pride or command our obedience or interrupt our false fantasies or call attention to our lapses. Have you today developed selective listening in your life? Callwood Church, I am asking us as we look at Ephesus today, where is your attentive love when it comes to Jesus? Like, do you wake up every day and the first voice that you want to hear is Jesus? Do you wake up every morning thinking, man, what's he going to say to me today? What's this going to look like? Do you have an eager love when it comes to this Jesus? I got to be with them. Like, there's nothing else that matters in my day. I got to spend my time with Jesus. Do you have an available love? Like, are you there when he's like, hey, I'm here. Do you have an available love? And do you today have a love that just simply seeks to please him? Because I have a fear that some of us relate to Ephesus today. You know, perhaps it's time that we have to return to the word of God in our daily lives, daily lives, prayer, daily, being with other Christians. You want to know one of the other things about that boy and that girl and their love that they had back in that day, to which they still have to this day? Do not mistake this, because I think you think that I'm talking about myself, which I may be, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but you know what they did? They talked about each other to everybody they ran into. Tell, I, the boy, <laughs> he would tell you about his girl. And he was enamored by her beauty, her strength, her relationship with Jesus. Let me ask you, when's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? That's a hard one, eh? When's the last time? And I want us to notice that in this text, he says, not only have you left your first love of him, he says that you have also left the love of other people. What Jesus is doing is he's bringing back to the story for us, Matthew chapter 22, which says this, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second and the other command is to love your who? Neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus is doing is he's weaving the greatest commandment into the book of Revelation to the church of Ephesus. He is saying you've left your responsibility to love other people. Folks, if you have left that responsibility, it is time for us to return to him because this is about other people who do not know Jesus. This is the kingdom of God. It is not about you. It is about other people and what he wants to do in and through you. And I know that some of us today are like, so what do I do? Like if I've left my first love, if I've left Jesus, even if I've left my responsibility to love my neighbor, what do I do? Well, I'm glad that you're asking because the text shows us a couple things. I'm gonna give you three R's to finish this day. First one is this, it says, I want you to remember. 
I want you to remember your condition. If you have left your first love today, remember it. It's not a red mark against any of us today. What, is, what Jesus is doing here is he is saying, I've got a new route for you if you want to take it. It's an encouragement for the change that he wants to see. So remember, if you've left your first love, remember. The second thing he asks us to do there is he says, I want you to repent. And to repent is meaning that you turn 180 degrees from where you've been and you go somewhere else. You turn around. And I want us to see this today because this is a picture of God. What God is saying to you and I today, if you've left that first love, he's not looking at you in shame. He's saying, okay, I just need you to repent. And this is a chance upon a chance upon a chance that God will do. Why? Because he wants to give you life today. You're living in that distance, in that separation. And yet he's saying, I want to bring you back to me to get back to that first love. Every week in this church, and this is no different today, we encourage you, if you don't have a relationship even with this first love, you could submit your life to him. We encourage you to text the word life to 250-478-7113 because that relationship with Jesus, the one who stands in the middle, the one who walks among his church is looking for that relationship from you. And it's not too late for you today if you've never made that decision to repent and to surrender your life to him. And then for the rest of us, it's repenting perhaps the orthopraxy that we've walked away from when it comes to our intimacy with him. And the third and last thing is it's time to redo. It's time today to go back to where it started. If I'm ever in a place where my wife and I are not well, guess where I go? I go back to the beginning and I remember what it was about her that made me feel the way I feel and made me do what I do. And Jesus is saying, remember, repent, and redo. It's time to start dating him again. And bring back that orthopraxy to find that intimacy. Remember I told you that affirmation, correction, and then the third thing is there's a promise. Fourth thing for us, there's a promise. The promise is this. If you don't return to your first love, He's going to remove the lampstand from the scene. I got to tell you, church, I'm bothered today because I do not want Jesus to leave us. I don't. I cannot afford to live this life distant from the one who paid it all. And I don't want him looking at Colwood Church and saying, I'm, I'm peacing out because you you're not doing it. I don't want that. And the flip side to that coin is that if you return to the first love, I'm gonna give you fruit from the tree of life. And this is a beautiful picture of eschatology. What Jesus is saying is that if you return to me, I'm gonna restore you. So again, no shame, I'll restore you. And I will give you this fruit for eternity that you will be with me. I love this promise, but I'm stuck in a moment right now because I think that as I'm speaking, there are hearts in this space today, and you know you've left your first love. 
I've asked the team to come back to sing a, a really old song called The Heart of Worship. In particular, there's one thing in this song that says, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. Because I think some of us have made it about us. We've become too busy. And we have left our first love. A thing that I used to do back in the day as a kid is a speaker would speak and then he'd say, if that's you, I want you to make a move. I want you in your discipleship to let it cost you something. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you, have you lost your, or have you left your first love? And if you have, I'm going to ask you to come and join me at this front, which means you're going to get out of your seat. The lie that you're going to listen to is that somebody's now going to watch me and see that I've left my first love. Get over that nonsense. Remember, I asked us to approach the book of Revelation in a humility that says, I may not have been doing this the way I should have. And the idea today is for you to come and find a space. Nobody is going to bother you. Nobody is going to come to you. Sean, I can't believe you're doing this on Mother's Day. I don't care. Because I think that this is what the Spirit of God is asking of us today. We love our moms. But you know what I love more? Jesus. And his people who are called to discipleship with him. And so as Jan and the team sing over us, I'm going to ask you to carve out a few moments. You could sit up here. You could kneel. You could stand. I don't care. But I'll be the first one. Because I want the presence of God here. I want the first love to be what drives this church. And so if you have perhaps left a first love recently, if Ephesus has got to you, as they sing, come, just make some space with him. It's your move, church. What will you do?